Good morning, everybody. It's been an incredible morning already, and uh, God never disappoints, so we're going to carry on with an incredible morning. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Do you know, whatever it is that's got your mind at the moment, let it go. Because the next 35 minutes of being in the Word of God will transform everything. The one thing that will stop it is us, and what's going on up here, and what's bothering us. And so just say to you, just... Let it go. Let it go and be ready to receive whatever God's got to say. Don't worry about this microphone. I'll change if I need to. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in... A, I wasn't even going to share this, but it is quite funny. Um, so I'm going to. Uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid, right? So I grew up as a pastor's kid, like, in the 80s um, and the 90s. And I think about my kids now, and I often think about how did they feel being pastor's kids because we had our church in our house, that's where we started. So growing up, the church was in the living room, and the church was growing really, really fast, and, and they'd have tambourines going and all sorts, right? Singing, overhead projector going in our living room, right? So if my, I would never let my friends come up the road, because <laughs> we used to have three meetings. We used to have a Friday night, a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, all in our living room. And like I used to, like when I was kind of like 16, 17, some of my friends drove, I used to be like, it's fine, you can drop me at the end of the road. They're like, no, we'll take you up the street. I'm like, it's fine, something in. It's 10 to 8 on a Friday night, and it's going to be being, it's full blown going on in my living room with the tambourines and everything. And I remember being there in my last year of school, and um, my friend coming to visit me, and I didn't know she was coming. And I opened the front door and she was stood there and I was like, oh, hi, thinking, oh my gosh, you just walked past the living room and the, the lectern's in there and everything. And I remember her saying to me, Vicky, what are all them chairs in your living room? And I went, we have a big family. <laughs> she went, and you sit in rows. <laughs> and I was like, yep, because I'm like, you that's what we do, that's what the Coopers do, we just sit in rows like and watch the television together. And then we also, because they're like, now my kids have, in the back of our cars, a really nice, sleek, Hope Church car sticker, right? It's really nice. This was my car sticker for the church. My dad bought an old ambulance and he painted the ambulance bright blue. And went and bought coach seats, second-hand coach seats, got them from the tip, I don't know where, and made it into something that we could all sit in, because we were a big family, but not like 50 people sat in rows, big family. So, and then the ambulance sign at the front, he took out and put in place of it a Jesus fish that lit up. So we used to go to school in a blue ambulance with a light-up Jesus fish on the front, right? So I'm like, when we started the Hope Church car stickers, I'm like, my kids dare moan about having a car sticker in the back of the car. They are going to get the whole story of the blue ambulance with the light-up Jesus fish. And because my dad put seats in it and made it more comfy with the itchy coach seats, he then went to my headmistress and offered to do school trips for free. So my friends were in the blue ambulance with the light up Jesus fish in the front anyway that's just a little bit of my upbringing um we went on a holiday in August we've not been abroad on holiday for about 14 years and uh, we were really blessed with this holiday 
And I've got a bit of a history because before children go on holiday like all the time, we used to go every year, and I've got a bit of a history of doing crazy things when I go on holiday. So, for example, when we were going on our honeymoon, I did the packing because I'm a little bit of like, I like to make sure everything's just right, and I couldn't guarantee what Barry would bring. So I was like, and I'll do the packing. And Barry walked in the room where I was doing the packing, and I got two suitcases open, and he says to me, Vicky, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm packing. He was like, what are you doing with the shoes? I'm like, well, they say you need to split everything so you don't have all my clothes in one and all your clothes in the other because then if we lose a space, we have a mixture, so we're not going to be without. And he was like, Vicky, what do you expect us to do? Hop. <laughs> I'd put all the right shoes in one case and all the left shoes in the other case. It is true. It is true. And um, this year, we, we arrive at Malaga Airport to come home. Barry and Sophie have been talking to me and saying this to me. Can you believe this is what I have to put up with? That I should be warmer with people that I don't know. Now, I admit I'm a little bit shy. So I'm, I'm fine here because this is family to me. So I'll be fine and, and doing what God wants me to do. I've got the courage and the boldness. Outside of that, if I go in a shop, I'll be like, thank you very much at the till and I'll walk. And because I, I do struggle with being, with being shy and talking to people I don't know. And Barry and Sophie throughout the holiday have been saying, Mum, you need to walk, work on your warmness a little bit. You need to be a bit warmer with people. So I'm like, all right, okay. So I'm stressing out a little bit about it. So we arrive at Passport Control in Malaga Airport and the Passport Control over there is way more serious than ours over here. Like way more. They smile at you over here. They don't over there. I walk up with my passport. Charlotte goes in front of me and she puts her thing can hardly see over it. She goes, hello, like this and speaks to him. And he was okay. He was tolerant of it. You know what I mean? I produced my passport and at just the most inconvenient moment, I have no idea why I did it other than I was under pressure from Barry and Sophie to be more warm around people that I don't know. I handed him a passport. He looked, <laughs> he looked at it. He looked at me. Sophie and I'm like you won't believe what I've just done they were like wow I was like I've just winked at the man at passport control they were like why would you do that I'm like I'm trying to be warm you've told me to be warm and they were like you need less because which mic shall I use you need lessons love there you go because warmth doesn't mean you wink at people Right, that, that's not warmth, what warmth means. So we get through, we get to the gate. And our Adam, um, <laughs> he was a little bit of a nervous flyer because he's not done it since he was one, so he didn't remember it. And we, you know, we were fine going out. He got over his nerves and then coming back, we get to the gate. And I can see he's pacing around a little bit. And then he comes to me and he says, Mum, he said, that, that man over there, he said, he's acting a little bit strange. I'm like, Adam, I said, it's fine. I said, you don't need to be anxious. There's nothing to worry about. And, you know, I'm putting it off. And I'm like, you're fine. Don't worry about it. 
And then he goes, Mum, come and have a look. So I'm like, oh, okay, right. It's like midnight. So I go over. I kid you not, there is a man sat there and he is plugged in to the wall, charging himself up, right? <laughs> right? And you know, when you look and you think, I'm, and, and he's like, see? I'm like, oh. and I'm like, yeah, he is. You know what I mean? And then you, you start thinking, I can see Adam's getting a little bit concerned. I'm like, Adam, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. He's not even probably on our plane. You don't need to worry about it. So I'm like, come away, Adam. Come on, come and sit down. And we put him, we put him, um, we get on the plane and everything and he's calm. All he wants to do is eat his Pringles out of his bag because he'd been waiting all day for them. And I said, you can't have them until you're on the plane. And that's all he's interested in. Until the man that's been charging himself up at the gate gets on our plane. And Barry, who sat behind me, because I've got Adam with me, goes, Adam, Adam, look. <laughs> I'm like, Barry, why have you just said that? You know, and I'm trying to keep it calm and everything. And he's going, and Adam's looking like this, and he's got his Pringles, and it's what do I do? Do I look at the Pringles, or do I look at the potential of what could go wrong? I'm like, Adam, look, it doesn't matter. And I just said something probably really mumsy-like. This is why it's important that we're always all right with Jesus. You know, and said something like that to try and calm him down. But there is one given thing I always do when I go abroad, and I drove my family mad with the passports. This is, I had a bag like this, and these passports, I checked them, I double-checked them, I was rooted in my bag to check that I got the passports, and then it came to giving them out so people could go through, and then Barry didn't give me his passport back, and I'm like, Barry, would you put your passport in the bag? He's like, Vicky, he was like, I'm a clever man, I'm 45, I'm not going to lose my passport. I'm like, Barry, put, put, would, you, would you put your passport? 44, you're 44, 44. Um... <laughs> Of all the things you could have picked me up on. <laughs> so I'm like, and so he wouldn't give me the passport. Then Sophie likes to say, I'm nearly 18, Mum, I don't need to give you my passport. So she holds onto the passport. And I'm freaking out because I know to get to where we need to be, we've got to have the passport. This passport is the access to where we need to be. This passport is going to unlock doors to where we need to be. This passport is going to take us the longevity for where we need to be. And people were not looking after the passport. And then Barry decides he's going to look after Eleanor's as well. And I'm like, oh, I am all over the place because of my control of these passports. But when you go on holiday, do you suddenly have that panic of where's the passport? And we all go, where's the passport? Where's the passport? Where's the passport? Because we know that that is the thing that will unlock the door to where we need to be. Inside my passport, I don't even know if this one's mine because there's seven in there, but inside my passport is a picture of me and there's information about me. But also towards the back are two names of people to contact in case of emergency. There is so much contained in this little book that is for the journey and the destination where I need to be. And without that passport, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going far. I'm staying where I am. And that's why we get so manic about the passport. I asked myself this week, do I get like that about where God is taking me spiritually? Am I so aware and so conscious of what I need for my journey? 
to get to the destination for what God has planned for me, that I am so aware of it as I am when I go on holiday and take things with me. Today in our series, we're carrying on with the truth about. Barry's carrying on with that tonight when the church meets again. This morning, I'm talking about the truth about vision. Vision is crucial to our lives. There's a a well-known verse in Proverbs 29. It says, without vision, the people perish. This translation says this, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Because if God is involved in all aspects of our life, he gives divine guidance. If not, we are guiding ourselves. And as the age-old saying goes, it's like the blind leading the blind. Because I know when I've tried to guide me, and I know when I've allowed God to guide me. And divine guidance is what we all need. God gives us a purpose. He has a plan for us. This is called vision. The vision that we have for our lives is a godly vision. If we choose to accept divine guidance. I think that's great. The way that that's put is if not, we run wild. When I've not aligned myself with God and, and had like divine guidance over my life from him, I have been in chaos. I've been running and spinning plates trying to make it all work. When the only thing I ever needed was divine guidance. And so I've challenged myself over the last few days, how hungry am I for that divine guidance over every aspect of my life? Vision is a huge thing to talk about. It's massive. And one of the things we just say about is it's important to have vision. But what does that look like? There's different areas to having vision. And I'm going to look at one specific area today. But there's different types of visions for different things. For me, I have an overall vision for my ministry and for what me and Barry are doing and what God's called us to do with this church. God has given us a 10-year vision plan and he's adding to that as and when he's needed. And he's putting the flesh on the bones as and when he's needed. But as well as that big vision that God has given me, I have a vision for my family. I have a vision for me. I have a vision for my finances. I have, you know, I want divine guidance over every single area of my life. The intricate details I um, remember one particular um, time and uh, it was when Joshua was very poorly and he was so poorly in bed that I would visualise, I had a vision of what he would look like well. So when he missed his year of schooling through illness, I would have a vision of him and Adam leaving the house together in their school uniform. It looked as far away as possible. It looked in that year impossible. And you know what? It got a whole lot worse. But I had to hold on to a vision I had got of a future for my son. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget the day it happened. And they both walked out the front door and I shouted, bye boys. And I never even thought about what I was doing. And they turned and looked at me. And as they turned and looked at me, I saw what I'd visualised. I saw the vision. And so I have a vision for this church and I have a vision for this ministry and what God's called me to do. But I have a vision for the smallest detail of my life. And I picture it and I will say, okay, God, you know, this this is what I'm going for. It might actually look different when I get there because I'm going to take your divine guidance on it. And um, so there's all different things. My health, 
I shared last week, was it about, you know, a miracle that I believe has happened, but that I'm waiting to see. You know, I have a vision of what that moment will look like over my health. I have a vision for our marriage. I have a vision in every area stage of our marriage as it's been like, yeah, for like nearly 20 years married and it's been so different along the ways. I even have a vision of what it's going to be like when all the children are married and they're at home and the house is quiet because I don't ever want to get to a point where I have no purpose. So I don't just want to be like, oh, you know, I'm just going to have a vision for what this future looks like without the intricate detail of how and what makes up the future. Often we'll wait for the wow factor. We love the big miracles. Absolutely, we love the big miracles. But what about the journey to the big miracle? You see, there is miracles every single step of the way. Every step of the way. If we have accepted divine guidance, God isn't just going to show up at the end. When we are saying, God, we want your divine guidance, is in every single step of the way. And we talk about having a vision and we say it's something that we want, but do we give the attention? Do I give the attention that is needed for the vision? Do I give what is needed? You know, I believe some people in here and you're weary. You're weary with the, with the vision. You're weary with visualizing where it's, you're going to end up. You're weary with it because it seems like you're not getting there. And what I'm going to preach on today are the voices of things to come. This is a part of the whole vision topic that I want to talk about in our own individual lives. And it's the voices of things to come. That's the title of today's message. God has 100% already placed the people around you in your life that you need for this stretch of the journey. Some of them will be there for the whole thing. Some of them will go because they're only here for a time. Anybody else you need, God's going to bring along. The key is... Asking for divine guidance. And he will be in the intricate detail. He will be in it and taking each step as it comes. But this vision that you've got, this vision that I had for Josh, this vision that I've got for my other children, this vision of my marriage, this vision of my finances, the vision of the church, it's just a pipe dream if I don't pay attention to the building of it. It's just a, well, let's just hope it all pays off if I don't pay attention to it and I don't see the people that are on that journey with me, God promised me that he was going to bring who I needed on this journey. And you know what? He's faithful. He is so faithful. I spoke to my mum about three particular friends that God really, really blessed me with. They don't even live in Warrington. And God knew those three women were going to be something I needed. I didn't know that when I started out. I had no idea, but God did. And you can trust God for divine guidance if you allow it. The first voice I want to talk about is your own voice. You need to own your vision. I needed to own my vision. I still need to own the visions that, yet yeah, are still to come to pass, that I'm in the process of. What is your vision? What is your vision for your ministry? What is your vision for what God is going to use you for? What is your vision for your family? What is your vision for your health? 
You need to know it. You need to own it. It talks in the word about write down the vision. Write it down. I would encourage every single one of us to make sure that we write down the vision that we've got. What is the end game? What is it that you see? So for me, when I was going through that with Joshua, I would actually speak it out on a daily basis, knowing that I'm getting there. I'm getting there. That's where we're heading. And I had it written down of what it was going to be like. I had a picture in my head. But you've got to own your own vision. What my vision at that time for Joshua was, Barry will have had a vision. But I was responsible for mine. Because that vision was what got me through those hard times. And through other hard times in my life. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It talks about there being a large crowd following Jesus. I'm pretty sure it wasn't silent. I'm pretty sure there was a lot of noise, there was a lot of pushing, there was a lot of hustle and bustle. But blind Bartimaeus made sure that he lifted his voice louder than the noise around him to connect with Jesus. He lifted his own voice louder than the noise around him. And it goes on to say, be quiet, many people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. Because he owned his miracle. He owned his vision. Somebody else could have jumped in and gone, don't shout at him like that. Then there'd probably just been an argument between the two people. But it was Bartimaeus. He needed to shout louder than the voices that told him to be quiet. And all the hustle and bustle going on around him. He had to be focused on his vision, on his outcome of what he needed it to be. And he needed to raise his voice louder. After shouting louder, it says, when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come to me. So they called the blind man. They called all those that told him to be quiet. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. All the ones that had told him to be quiet. Bartimaeus could have been quiet. But he raised his voice above the others to connect with Jesus. Because in his surroundings, in his desperation, he owned his vision. He owned his own miracle. So for me, there were many voices in those good nine years of Joshua being poorly. There were many voices that told me to be quiet. There was many voices that told me there's nothing wrong. There was many voices that told me this, that and the other. But I knew. And I knew I had to fight and raise my voice louder to the Lord. I knew that no, I'm not prepared to accept this and be told to be quiet. Because I know that there is a miracle. I know there is a miracle and I know there's a greater picture. And so I would raise my voice louder and I would raise my voice to the Lord. And I would speak to him and I would say, no, God, I know 
that you will heal. I know you will. And I would have this vision in my head of what it would be like. Let me tell you this. All the voices that told me to be quiet didn't sit at his bedside and see the miracle as it took place in front of my very eyes. And it's the same for you. Your own voice matters in your vision. You have to own your vision. You have to speak above the doubters of your vision. And you need to be so determined to connect with Jesus. I have to do that with my vision. As crazy as my vision may seem to others, it's my vision that God has given me with divine guidance. And it's my responsibility to make sure that God hears me and I don't go quiet because of the hustle and bustle and the voices around me. So voice, uh, voice one is your own voice. Voice two is the voice of challenge. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9, it says, So Naaman, who was a general, went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. Naaman was a general in the army. He was very, very well respected, and he, but he had leprosy. And he wanted a miracle. He wanted something to change. And so he went with all his wealth and he went actually to the king and the king was like, I can't heal you. And Elisha was like, send him to me. Send him to me. So he arrives at Elisha's house, this great important man. And he waits at the door for Elisha to come out. But it says this, but Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed by your leprosy. So his answer, there's his answer. This is what the, the prophet, who's very well-known prophet, very well-known man of God, says this is what you need to do. Your leprosy will be gone. But Naaman, that totally went against who Naaman thought he was and his own self-importance. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Yeah. The voice of challenge. As well as our own voice, we need people around us who will challenge our attitude. We need people around us who will challenge when we are trying to make something that isn't about us, about us. Because although the leprosy was about him, absolutely. But he wanted his miracle in his own way. And these people challenged him. I'm pretty sure they were quite scared of challenging him because this man is, well, is a well-known general. He's an important man. And they challenge him. They said, well, wouldn't you have gone and done it if he'd said this? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. 
and he was healed. Your own voice, our own voice, my own voice will lead us astray if we don't have anybody else godly speaking into it. I know that there are times that I know the vision. I know where I'm going and I can picture it. I can see it. But I have made decisions in myself. And then I have had wise people that have challenged me and said, but Vicky, Vicky, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Let's sit down and talk this through. And you know what it's done? It's a realigned me and it's made me go, yeah. Wise counsel. The voice of challenge. People who you trust and people who I trust to speak up and say, Vicky, what are you doing? Why are you dismissing that? I have a handful of people who I really, really trust to do that. And I'm so thankful for them. Because I know I've only progressed in my vision. I know I've only progressed in my life because of the people who have. I remember my mum saying to me about something a couple of years ago. And I remember her putting something to me. Me going, no, no, no. And, and, she, and I remember her saying this to me really clearly. I think you've got a bad attitude. And actually, you've got a closed mindset. And I'll tell you, it woke me up. It woke me up and I was like, oh, now I could have took offence. But you see, I trust her enough, not as my mum, but as a woman of God, to actually be able to challenge me. Because I need people in my life who are a voice of challenge. And don't just tell me everything I want to hear. Pat on the back, well done, Vicky. Well done. Just keep going. You're doing great. And we have people that do that. We have people who over the years have done that and then they're nowhere. You need to know that whoever's doing it, I need to know whoever's doing it. We need to know that these are godly, wise people that have surrounded themselves, have put themselves around us so that they will encourage us. That when we raise our voices, they're like, go on. They're not saying shh but they'll also challenge when we need to chat when we need a challenge the third voice is the voice of faithfulness you can own your own vision you can have the voice that challenges but boy do you need the voice of faithfulness those that just stay the course with you those that are like we are in it through the highs and the lows, we are in this vision with you. We are running with you. We are sticking with you. The voice of faithfulness. 2 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 8. There was a famine and a drought in the land at the time. And it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little, cup in, a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, oh, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house for I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. 
I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. There have been times in my vision I have been broken. I have been desperate. I have felt abandoned. I have felt lost. But the people who have been the voice of faithfulness to me, those that would lift me, those that I could not have done what I have done without the people that God has placed in my life that is the voice of faithfulness. This lady was broken. She had nothing. She was desperate, but God sent Elijah. God sent Elijah. And I want to encourage anyone today who is feeling broken, anybody who's feeling desperate, anybody who feels like, I just feel like giving up. I know what you're talking about, Vicky. But I just feel like giving out. I feel like quitting. God brought Elijah. And God is saying to you today, don't quit. Don't give up. Keep your eye on the vision. And although you feel worn out, although you feel alone, although you feel weary, I am sending you an Elijah. I'm sending you an Elijah who will be the voice of faithfulness. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid because there was great fear here. Go ahead. He's telling her, despite your brokenness, advance. Still go and do what you were going to do. Do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. God is saying today that if you feel that you are in a drought, if you feel like you are in brokenness, he's saying to you, you're going to have enough flour and olive oil left for exactly what you need until the harvest comes again. And he brought that through a voice of faithfulness. He brought it through Elijah but Elijah replied, sorry, it says, sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah said, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on his bed. Then Elisha cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this woman and this widow who has opened her home to me, causing a son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. 
Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Through that time of brokenness for that lady, there was a voice of faithfulness. You know, I was thinking about how we'll often live just for the wow moments. It's like everything's okay when we get a big miracle. Everything's okay if, you know, we live in a quick fix society. And in the voices that speak into our lives, maybe for some, maybe for me, there's a temptation to always bring in the newest model, the newest friend, the newest voice, the newest. And I'm not saying God doesn't bring new people along. He's done that for me. But for your vision, maybe it is somebody new. I don't know. But there is a voice of faithfulness. There is a voice of faithfulness that will walk with you. There's a voice of faithfulness who will take what seems dead and carry the load and carry the weight and carry the burden. There is the voice of faithfulness that will say, advance, keep on going. The voice of faithfulness. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you feel weary. But I would say to you, take heart. Take heart. What is it that you are visualising? What is your vision? As we sing this song, ask for divine guidance. Ask. You ask, He'll give it. You ask, He'll give it. Ask for divine guidance. And then stand up tall and lift your voice. Lift your voice. Own your vision. Own your miracle like Bartimaeus did. Forget the voices that are telling you to shush. You'll always have shushes in your life. But you'll always have Jesus. Lift your voice and begin to shout, Jesus! Jesus, I know you're here. Jesus! And His divine guidance will take you exactly where you need to be in your miracle. Ask God for those people who will be your voice of challenge. Those that will challenge you and say, what are you doing? <laughs> just stop for a minute. Take some time. Just think this through. Your voice of challenge and your voice of faithfulness. And those three, they're going to advance you to where you need to go with divine guidance and the right people that God has placed around you and an ownership on yourself. You will see your miracle. Just as I did that day when Josh left for school, I saw it because of God's divine guidance. Let's just worship Him, church. Let's worship Him. In this last song, let's worship Him. Have your moment with God. He's faithful to deliver.